0: Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Syncope. We see patients with syncope every day in the emergency department, and we spend a great deal of effort and money looking for the serious underlying etiologies, but those patients are a true minority. The yield of our ED workup is often low. The yield of hospitalization is very low. But if you've practiced long enough, you probably have developed a sense for who you think just suffered a vasovagal event, who might be dehydrated, or who might really have a serious underlying cause for their event. But how reliable is that sense? It turns out it may in fact be quite reliable. Today we're talking with two authors of an upcoming AEM article entitled Syncope Prognosis Based on Emergency Department Diagnosis A Prospective Cohort Study. In this study, adult syncope patients in six EDs, over 5,000 patients in total, were enrolled, excluding patients with presyncope, persistent altered mental status, intoxication, seizure, or major trauma. The authors looked at patient characteristics, ED management, the physician's diagnostic impression at the end, whether it was vasovagal, orthostatic, cardiac, other or unknown. The physicians were then asked about their level of confidence in assigning that etiology. Patient outcomes at 30 days were then evaluated. Here to talk about their findings are two of this study's authors. Lead author Christian Torda is a PGY-3 in emergency medicine at the University of Toronto. Final author, Dr. Venkatesh Thirinyana Sambandamurti, or Dr. Venk for short, is an associate professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and School of Epidemiology and Public Health, scientist with the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, new investigator with the Heart and Stroke Foundation in Canada, and a staff attending at the Ottawa Hospital. They're being interviewed today by Dr. Tess Whiskel, a PGY-4 in emergency medicine at Brown University. Make sure to read the full text of this article, which is available on our blog at www.brownemblog.com.
1: Hi, thank you for joining us today. Welcome, Dr. Torda.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: And welcome, Dr. Vank.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: All right, so, Dr. Torda, can you please give us a summary of your study and what you are hoping to illustrate?
2: Sure. So, in our Canadian setting, the majority of patients who come in with syncope and are not found to have any serious underlying conditions are discharged from the eMERGE and are told to follow up with their family physicians as needed for outpatient workup. What we don't know is what the prognostic value of the ED diagnosis is. So our goal was to determine the prognosis of the ED patients with syncope based on the four major categories that they're typically put in at the end of their visit. So we wanted to know: Do patients who are told that they have a vasovagal uh, syncope do they fare better at 30 days than the patients for whom uh, the physician thought that there was a cardiac syncope um, condition? When making the diagnosis of cardiac syncope, though, it can often be a struggle to convince our consultants to see or admit the patient in question, and. With the uh, current risk scores that exist, most of them don't take into account physician gestalt or judgment, which we believe to be an important component um, of uh, scores as evidenced by other ones that are commonly used, like the heart or the well score. So we set out to answer our uh, question to prospectively recruit patients who clearly fit the definition of syncope. We enrolled these patients from six major uh, Canadian centers and after um, recruitment, we were left with 5,010 patients. In uh, this patient cohort, the cause of syncope was thought to be vasovagal in the majority of them, 53%, and cardiac in 54 We thought it was interesting that the proportion of patients with ED investigations and short-term serious outcomes increased in each diagnostic categories, with patients in which Uh, presumed vasovagal syncope was thought to be the cause, Um, there were uh, less short-term serious outcomes and they required less investigations than patients for whom a cardiac etiology was thought to be behind the syncopal event. Most notably, again, when it came to the 30-day serious outcomes, there were no deaths at all in the vasovagal group. And proportionally speaking, the highest rate of serious outcomes was in the cardiac syncope group. We therefore concluded that there's tremendous untapped prognostic value in the syncope etiology that's assigned by the emergency physician and it validates its inclusion in the Canadian syncope risk score.
1: All right. Let's move on now um, and talk about the screening of patients. So you screened out patients with identified serious causes of syncope in the emergency department. This seems like a relatively small number of the patients, only 359 out of more than 5,000 patients in your study. What were some of the most common findings of these patients, and how do you think this might change the interpretation of your results?
2: Sure. So to first address the um, uh, number issue, 359 uh, patients out of more than 5,000, uh, this is uh, in proportion to all the patients that we included, equates to about 6.6% of patients, which is consistent with what has been reported in the literature, with numbers varying from 5 to 7% um, of syncope patients. And we decided to uh, exclude the patients who had serious uh, causes of syncope in the eMERGE, since our study's primary objective was to determine the correlation between the physician-presumptive diagnosis and the prognosis. We decided not to analyze the patients with clear, serious underlying conditions identified in the eMERGE um, because these patients really require treatment and not prognostication. If anything, we believe that excluding those patients made our results more conservative, meaning that when the physician thought, without the patient having an arrhythmia event um, in the eMERGE, that the cause of syncope was likely cardiac in origin. Um, then we're more conservative in saying that uh, the physicians correctly identified a lot of the time the patients who had true cardiac syncope.
1: Great. Now let's talk about the recruitment in your study. Your recruitment was done with emergency physicians during routine care of patients. Did you find certain physicians recruiting more or a time variation of who was recruiting? What would you imagine could be some limitations and benefits to this method of recruiting versus research assistants or others who aren't providing direct clinical care?
2: So we didn't actually analyze if certain physicians were recruiting more. However, we had more than 250 physicians from six different sites who uh, recruited. We also don't think that there were any time variations in recruitment, and physicians did also recruit at nighttime as they did uh, during uh, daytime. The only time... uh, when uh, less patients were being recruited was during busy periods in the eMERGE because it was the emergency physician who was recruiting these patients in the study. We did design the study in this way, though, because there are several benefits to having the physician um, recruiting the patients. For one, they can better assess if the syncope event was true syncope versus a seizure since they base their impression on the history and the physical exam that they conducted. It's also necessary for them to be the ones recruiting appropriate syncope patients because ultimately it's their final diagnostic impression, which we are trying to correlate with the prognosis of those patients. Furthermore, we think that by asking the physician to recruit the syncope patients in the study, it adds external validity to the study as the results can be extended to most practicing ED physicians in the community as well as at the academic sites. Some of the limitations of the physicians enrolling patients, which we are aware of, uh, is that, for example, the physicians may spend less time during enrollment and the forms may be more likely to be incomplete. Uh, they can also miss some patients while the department is busy.
1: All right. So on to the next question. The inter-rater reliability of diagnosis was found to be strongest for cardiac and vasovagal syncope. The later analysis in the study depended on this first categorization, and there were some broader confidence intervals for diagnosis. Do you think that there are ways to better classify other types of syncope to help increase the interrater reliability? You also mentioned scoring systems that help later predict serious outcomes, but less to diagnose these. Are there plans to develop any scoring systems to help aid in the diagnosis of type of syncope syncope?
2: Yeah, I'm
3: happy to answer that question. Um, uh, I think it's a very important uh, question to address. Our study enrolled patients um, primarily when we were doing the derivation and the validation of the risk scores. um, The majority of the patients included in this cohort were from the derivation phase, and some patients from the validation phases are also included in this study cohort. Um, During these two phases, we trained the emergency physicians and the emergency medicine residents to collect variables. We gave them explanation for all the variables that are being collected, including these diagnostic predictors. We use uh, the criteria that was published in the European Society of Cardiology Guidelines Uh, as definitions for these predictors for vasovagal syncope, cardiac syncope, unknown categories, and orthostatic hypotension. Now that we know that these are very important predictors which made it to the final model and to the Canadian syncope risk score, I think we can improve the accuracy of diagnostic classification and as well as the interlater reliability by providing a very succinct explanation and education that is what we plan to do during the implementation phase. We will have a very clear set of explanation um, that we already had, but now that the predictors are uh, only nine of them, we will have very clear definitions for these particular diagnostic variables, and as well as the basal-vagal predisposition that we have in our risk score. And we will test the accuracy and the inter reliability during our implementation phase.
1: Great. Um, You also mentioned that vasovagal syncope did not have any serious outcomes associated with it, but it still incurs significant testing and therefore might be a target for decreasing testing. Do you think, however, that any of these tests first help diagnose vasovagal syncope or rule out some of the other causes of syncope?
3: We agree that um, uh, in our study overall, all patients presenting with syncope, uh, particularly the vasovagal subgroup, undergoes excessive testing. Um, We believe for patients who very likely suffered a true vasovagal syncope, all that we need is a thorough history, a good physical examination to rule out non-arrhythmic serious underlying conditions, a ECG, and we need to ensure that the vital signs are stable. That is all that's needed. And if all that is done, this patient can be discharged home. In our practice, however, we end up performing a lot of laboratory tests, um, particularly to rule out other causes of syncope. However, our study results show that we do it more on a routine basis rather than a targeted basis based on clinical suspicion. Overall, if you look at all patients with syncope, the yield of laboratory testing is 2 to 3%. And for example, the yield of CT of the head is around 4%. This is for all patients. If you look at the vasovagal syncope subgroup alone, it's likely less than 0.5% yield of any of these testing. And I think so... Those are impressive
1: numbers. I believe it just from seeing patients clinically.
3: Yeah. So the, the yield is really low. So I think by a structured diagnosis... Uh, regarding the etiology if we come to the conclusion that it is far more likely it's vehicle syncope and then we will have a few important predictors which are part of the canadian syncope risk score that will help physicians to just help them to prognosticate what is the possibility of a serious underlying condition in this patient if it is very low i do not think that these patients will require any more testing they can be discharged very quickly From the emergency department.
1: I can definitely see the clinical value of having a score like that. All right. The study size for your study here was quite impressive, though the outcome of mortality is still rare. Do you think that this study is adequately powered for the outcome of mortality, or do you think that you need a larger study size to be able to evaluate this? The other part of this is you picked 30 days for follow up. Um, Are there any plans for having longer follow up periods to determine longer term outcomes?
3: This is a great question, like the mortality for patients with syncope presenting to the emergency department, the short-term mortality is less than 1%. This has been well established across several emergency-based studies that have been done in the US and in Europe, as well as there has been recently a systematic review that has been published, which also showed that it is less than 1%. I do not think that on the point of mortality that we need any more larger studies to confirm it. Uh, with respect to 30-day outcomes, the reason that we chose 30-day outcomes is that, that when we started this endeavor of like trying to uh, restratify and improve emergency department management of syncope, we envisioned that if patients require immediate or urgent follow-up, In our setting, it is more feasible to arrange a follow-up within 30 days rather than within like five days or seven days. So we chose a 30-day outcome as our um, follow-up time. When we look at the outcomes, the non-arrhythmic type of outcomes, like any kind of intracranial condition, like intrathoracic conditions such as PE, um, aortic dissection, um, MIs, and as well as intra-abdominal conditions such as occult hemorrhage. Those non-arrhythmic conditions are more likely related to the index syncope if they occur within 30 days. More than 30 days, and I don't believe that it will be related to the index syncope. But there will be two important things. One is arrhythmias and deaths that could potentially, that happen in the long term after 30 days, up to one year, could be related to the index syncope. We are in the process of identifying long-term outcomes in our entire study cohort, and we will be publishing that. We believe that that information will help emergency physicians organize long-term follow-up among patients who are at risk for arrhythmias or deaths.
1: All right. So finally, what are your future plans with the results of this study? What do you think are the largest knowledge gaps in this field, or studies you want to see done in the future?
3: That's a great question. Like this um, prognosis based upon ED diagnosis was part of a publication um, within our plan to do risk stratification studies for emergency department syncope patients. As you may be aware, we did publish the derivation phase of our Canadian syncope risk score. We did incorporate these diagnostic predictors in our risk score. We have validated it and the results are going to be presented in the plenary session of the SAEM conference this year. So we are in the midst of planning the implementation phase at the present time. So um, once we have implementation, we are in the process of also developing uh, clinical guidelines based upon our validation results, which will clearly provide guidelines to physicians as to what to do um, after they assess the patient, restratify them, they'll be able to decide who needs monitoring and who needs um, to be discharged home and who should be probably hospitalized. So that is what we are in the, in the process of developing. With respect to gaps, and I think once this is developed, if we can implement it, we can reduce hospitalizations and we can reduce healthcare utilization in the ED for syncope patients. We are also in the process of developing an outpatient um, uh, cardiac monitoring strategy, out of hospital cardiac monitoring strategy for better identification of arrhythmias. And I think this strategy will also reduce hospitalization among patients.
1: Well, I look forward to hearing about the results of your future studies and seeing how that turns out. Thank you both
0: for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: It's been great. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Make sure to check out the full text article, again available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Today's music and sound are by Scott Holm and freesoundarchive.org. I'm Dr. Keita Pensa. We'll see you next time.